0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that your life is built on a rock. This solid, unshakable foundation that you do not belong to yourself. You belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is to know for certain that that his blood has washed away all your sins. They're gone. It is to know for certain that sin, the devil, and his whole dominion do not have power over you. It is to know for certain that every single thing that happens to you can only happen by God's sovereign will, that he ordains all things, every little detail in your life the good things and the hard things, and every thing that happens in history and in the universe to work together for his glory and for your salvation. It is to know for certain that the Spirit of God lives in your heart and will never leave. Therefore, even though you die, yet you will live forever. And that the Spirit is changing you from glory to glory, He's changing you from what you were into what you will be more and more. He's changing you from being a selfish sinner into being a loving child of God. And there is no true comfort. There is no true happiness. There's no true joy apart from these glorious truths which can be summed up in this way. In Christ alone, In Christ alone is life, hope, renewal, joy, and peace. Christ is the solution. Christ is the answer. Now, in Lord's Days 2 through to 4, the church confesses from Scripture that unless you understand the problem, unless you understand the question, you will never find the solution. You will never find the answer. And so we spent a few Lord's Days digging deep into the problem of sin and misery, and it wasn't pleasant, it was painful, but it was necessary, much like someone who has cancer needs to see that CT scan, which shows the scope of the problem. You need to know the problem in order to find the right solution, and so we ended that section on sin and misery just there at the end of Laws A 4. We hit a brick wall. We confess from the scripture that we are ruined, that we are guilty in our ruin, that we are under the sentence of a just judgment. That God's justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. That's the problem. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there is hell to pay. It's hard. It's dark. Who wants to come to church and hear things like that? But it's good to hear these things. We need to know the truth. We need to understand the depth, the extent, the scope of the problem, because now... We can go find the solution. And that's what we're doing here in Lord's Day 5 and Lord's Day 6. Look at there the answer 12. How can we escape? How can we be again received into favor? Now, we've been working over the last few weeks with this allegory of human nature as a glorious royal residence built fit for the great king but which by human sin has been ruined and destroyed. And we are just one more generation in a long line of stewards who inhabit these condemned ruins of fallen human nature. These condemned ruins with full of unspeakably evil residents lurking in the dark corners. And the great king has understandably, decreed the total destruction and demolition of these ruins. Their very existence is an offense to his majesty. And there's only one way to escape the sentence of utter destruction. Payment must be made. Full payment. Someone has to come up with the resources. To be able to pay for ripping out everything filthy, everything polluted, everything ruined, everything broken. Basically a renovation which will turn out to be more expensive than just building a new project from scratch. Because every part has to be scrubbed and cleaned and repaired, restored, renewed, rebuilt. It is a massive undertaking, massively expensive. And then the question answer 13 says, well, Do we have the resources for that? Can we make the payment? And the answer from Scripture is on the contrary. We daily increase our debt. Here we are in our sin, in our total depravity of our fallen human nature. We've inherited that corrupt, fallen, sinful nature from our parents who inherited it from their parents. And way back there, we inherited it from our first parents. Oh, you may be sitting here thinking, well, that's not my fault. I wasn't there in the garden. I didn't choose to take a bite out of that fruit, that forbidden fruit. And that's true. You weren't there. You didn't make the decision. But we are part of a family of rebellion, which through a long line of generations has been responsible for this hulking mass of ruins called fallen human nature. We're part of the family which in the generations has consistently failed to deliver to the great king the royal residence that he created perfectly for his glory, a human nature which displays his character, true righteousness and holiness. If you want to make a big deal about the fact that you weren't there in the garden and you didn't make the decision, okay, no problem. You want to distance yourself from the guilt of Adam? Be a perfectly holy and righteous human being then. Go ahead. Fix it. Repair the ruins. Deliver the finished project to the king for his approval. We just have to look at our own hearts and lives, our own experience, and then we look to the word of God, and we know that we don't stand a hope We have no power, we have no resources to even begin this project. On the contrary, under our stewardship, the the ruins decay even more. More filth accumulates, and we take what has been entrusted to us, human nature, and we make it worse. Well, let's step out of the allegory for a moment. You may say, Well, I didn't choose to sin. Adam chose to sin. Eve chose to sin. Well, okay, well, then live a perfect life. Here's the blueprint in, in God's holy word, the Ten Commandments. Live a perfect life. You can't, because you were born with a corrupt human nature. And because you are a sinner, you sin. And every sin brings more righteous judgment. Every sin plunges you deeper into debt with God. These are hard truths, brothers and sisters, hard truths to hear. If we want to attract a whole pile of people in from the community, this is the last thing we want to be seeing from the pulpit when a a visitor who maybe doesn't know the Lord Jesus walks into church. Human beings don't like to be told about who we are by nature. Because we want to be the hero in the story. We want to to receive a message which empowers us. We want to be told that the answer is deep within us. We just have to look within and, and marshal our strength and be strong people and overcome the problem. It's hard to be humbled. Who likes to be humbled? And yet, it is the only way, brothers and sisters, out of death and into life. The gospel is shaped like the cross. The gospel is not just about glory, but the gospel is about glory, which we arrive at through humiliation. That is the, the shape of the cross. That is the shape of the life of our Savior. That is the path that we must follow. Walk if we would follow him and be his disciples, we must take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him on that path. If you cannot humble yourself, you will never reach glory. We have to accept that hard truth that we cannot save ourselves, we can't even save one other person, let alone save the human race. If you have your Bible handy, Psalm 49, verse 7, Psalm 49, 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pits. No man can ransom another. No man has the resources, no human being has the resources to save anyone, not even themselves. So, The scripture and our own knowledge of our own sin puts a stop to that right away. We cannot make the payment. We don't have the resources. And so we go to question answer 14, and here we're grasping for straws. Well, if we can't pay, maybe somebody else can't. Maybe there's some other creature that can pay for us. And the answer of the scripture is that God is a God of justice. Man sinned, man paid. And if we go back to our allegory for a moment, that glorious ruin, which is fallen human nature. Down the road, there's another building, another edifice. It represents perhaps the house. It is the house which represents the the, the nature of of angels. And down the road from that is another house, which represents the nature of animals. And and if we have this, this ruin of fallen human nature that crumbling, condemned ruin, it's not going to help to destroy that other house and rebuild that. That's not going to make any difference for the problem that we have before us. The problem is human nature, and human nature must be redeemed. What we ruined must be restored. And what's more, they don't have the resources. No angel, no other creature has infinite resources. That's what we need. We need somebody that has infinite resources because remember what the judgment is. Look there at the end of Laws A4, sin committed against the most high majesty of God should be punished with the most severe that is with everlasting punishment. That means if you want to pay for your own sin, you can do that by going to hell and staying there forever. You'll never be finished paying, but that's the way outside of Christ That's the payment to be made. No one can ever finish paying for themselves, let alone paying for others. And certainly no dog or cat or angel is able to handle such an infinite punishment because they are not infinite. They are limited. So there's no hope in us and there's no hope in other creatures. They don't have the resources. They cannot sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 10:4 For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so, question and answer 15 is the conclusion we end up with. We need a very special kind of mediator and deliverer. We need a mediator. And a mediator is someone who stands between, between a holy and righteous God and condemned sinners to reconcile them by dealing with the problem that separates them. We need a mediator and we need a deliverer. A deliverer is somebody that liberates, that frees. We languish under the power of sin Under the sentence of condemnation, we need someone to save us, someone to free us, to liberate us. We need a mediator, and we need a deliverer. And then Lord's Day 6 describes this Savior that we need, the picture of the Savior we need, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ means anointed Christ, Savior, Jesus anointed savior. Anointed in the sense of you have a job to do. That's what Christ means. It means you've been anointed to do a job. What is the job? To save sinners. And in terms of the allegory, the the son of the great king is our only hope because he, being part of the royal family, has access to all the power and the resources of the kingdom. Turn in your Bible to Philippians 2 verse 6 for a moment. Philippians 2.6. And look there, what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he took on human nature. In all of its brokenness and yet without sin, the son of the great king came to inhabit that condemned ruin called human nature. Look at verse 7, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. God became man. God became one of us. What's happening here? Well, it's the, it's the undoing of the fall because in the fall, man tried to become God and we were plunged into misery and death. And now to undo that fall, God became man and we are saved. Look at verse eight there in Philippians chapter two. And being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is Christ doing? What did he do? He suffered and he died as a human being. He literally took that hulking ruin of human nature, fallen human nature. He took it apart piece by piece, even to the separation of soul from body. And he scrubbed and cleansed every piece, every part, every aspect with his precious blood. And then on the third day he arose up from the grave, came a glorified man, no longer subject to the ravaging consequences of a fallen world. A man so perfectly conformed to the image of God and true righteousness and holiness that he was able to ascend into heaven and be welcomed without reservation into the presence of the Father in the Holy of Holies of the universe. When Jesus ascended into heaven, for the first time since the Garden of Eden, for the first time since before the fall, a perfect man stood in the presence of the Father. That's what Jesus did. He took apart that hulking condemned ruin by his death and he rebuilt it into a glorious new residence fit for a king by his resurrection. That was the restoration, the renovation project of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did it cost him? Well, it cost him everything. It cost him the highest price in the universe. It cost him the blood of god as paul says it in acts chapter 20 verse 28 the blood of god the savior redeemed his church with the blood of god and though that's a very strange phrase in the scriptures but it ties together very clearly the divine nature of our lord and his human nature because only the human nature has The blood. Now the Bible describes what happens because of this radical change which the Lord Jesus Christ brings to human nature, fallen human nature. The Bible describes it as being born again. You have a totally new and different life. The Bible says it this way in Galatians chapter 2 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean that you do a lot of daily and weekly rituals? That you you read the Bible, you pray every day, you don't swear, you be moral, you keep up appearances, you show up for church. Maybe if you have time, you even go to a Bible study. Is that what it means to be a Christian? Brothers and sisters, for thousands of years, God has been telling us. It's all recorded right here in the scriptures. He's been telling us in the gospel what he has been doing in Christ. Jesus did not come to drench the condemned ruins of fallen human nature in whitewash, to to give it a lick of paint so it looks good from the outside, from a distance. But think of what we read there in Colossians chapter 1 before the sermon. Jesus came to work a radical change. He came to deliver us from the domain of darkness, to transfer us to the kingdom of light. He came to bring us redemption. He came to bring us forgiveness. We were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order To present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy and blameless. The total opposite of what the law describes us to be in our sin. The total opposite of what we concluded about our true fallen nature in Lord's Days 2, 3, and 4. Holy and blameless in true righteousness and holiness. That's who we are. That's what we are in Christ and only in Christ. We are a royal residence, the very perfect temple of God on earth, the dwelling place of the King of Kings. That's who you are in Christ, Christian. That's who we are as Church of God, a new, holy, righteous, perfect, reconciled, redeemed, washed, forgiven, transformed humanity a residence fit for the king. That is the gospel. And so stop trying to make yourself a better person. Stop trying hard to be gooder. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to renovate yourself, to repair what is broken, to make yourself acceptable to God. You're wasting your time. You will never succeed. You don't have the power. You don't have the resources. You can't afford the cost. Your weak, pathetic efforts at self-improvement or at papering over your sin are absolutely useless. You need a total, radical transformation which only God, Can bring about. And the gospel sets before you today, once again, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is true and righteous man. He is the answer. He is our hope. He is the Redeemer. He has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, and redemption by His power, through His finished work of redemption. United to him by true faith, you now share in that glorious, soaring edifice of a redeemed and restored human nature, the very temple and dwelling place of God. That is our only comfort, believer, that we have been bought with a price, That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have come to make their home in us. Right now, believer, you are the dwelling place of God. That we belong, that we are loved, that we are accepted, that all is well between us and God, because of Christ, because of Christ alone. Praise God for Christ. Amen.